Welcome to Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This is class number 11, where we continue our examination of temple symbols. We'll look at a few more symbols associated with temple covenants and how they are an invitation to get out of the terrestrial world and into his presence in the celestial world. So I remind you, we've made some significant connections. If you put all the scriptures about temples together, I think there's some four significant connections so you can see what the purpose of the temple is. Number one, everything in the temple is designed to push you. So the chapel is pushing you out of the telestial room. I know there's a telestial room in the temple, but the work of getting out of the telestial room really falls where? That's what we do in their chapels. That's what missionary work is about. Missionaries go out and say, let go of the celestial and come into the terrestrial. Membership in the church kind of assumes terrestrial living, goodness, let go of the natural man, even though we continue to work on that. Then we come into the temple and the push is to go from terrestrial to celestial. If we don't understand that change, you're gonna miss uh, you're gonna miss a lot of what the temple is trying to do. Can you see the purpose in this covenant to get out of a terrestrial room? I'm gonna tell you a funny story. I'm teaching this temple symbols class, and as part of this portion, we talk about the difference between celestial, terrestrial, and celestial. And I pointed out in the class that being honorable is terrestrial. That being good and honorable is terrestrial. And I get this, I think the guy paused at that moment in the video and made a comment on the YouTube video. He says, whoa, 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 I got a problem. If being honorable is terrestrial and I'm supposed to let go of that, honorable is what I do. Honorable is what I stand for. I will always be honorable. What are you asking me to let go of? And I pointed out that we don't do celestial. The difference between terrestrial and celestial is why we do. It's attitude and thought and heart and desire. And then I made in my comment, I said, for example, some people are honorable and then take pride in it, which turns it from more of a terrestrial thing than a celestial thing. And he deleted the post (laughs) because I think he realized, oh, I see what I was doing. I was taking pride in being honorable. And the very push to get out of the terrestrial room isn't that we stop doing good things, right? It's that we do them for the right reasons and that we have the right attitudes and the right motives. So everything in the temple is coming into your head into your heart, into your desires. If you don't make that connection, you're gonna miss the temple. So it's always uh, get out of the terrestrial and into the celestial. The second thing is we need to understand that ordinances are tokens and covenants. And the brilliance of the Lord, he usually doesn't spell out what you're promising. He shows you what you're promising in a token. If you don't see in the token details of the covenant, you've missed it because the Lord doesn't spell out the covenant. He shows what you're covenanting with what you're doing. Remember that. 
The other one is more for the temple initiatory, and that is being born again. We'll kind of skip that one. The one I wanted to emphasize last time is when the Lord set up the temple, he said, you need to organize, prepare, and establish. And then he went into the temple and said, you will be organized. And I find what the Lord is saying is everything in the temple is reciprocal. What the Lord does to you, he's asking you to do to him. So we saw that last week. If Jesus is a nail in a sure place, in that moment I connect with Christ and I remember that he is a nail in a sure place for me, what's he doing at the very same time? He's asking me to be a nail in a sure place for him. It's always reciprocal. Whatever he's doing, he's asking you to do. That's a key to unlocking the symbolism. And then I wanted to remind you, see it. Dig a little bit and then like it. So let's start with random symbols. I have something in my eye. Let me start with random symbols. I brought some very interesting tools with me. I believe carpenters understand the endowment symbols better than anyone else. And you have to be a little bit of a carpenter to get some of the symbols. Or drafting or architect. <laughs> and it can work with mathematicians. But the idea is, if you've ever built something by eyeballing it, Thank you. you've learned a great lesson. Imagine I'm going to build this institute by eyeballing every measurement. Tell me what happens. How many of you would cut precisely a 36-inch board right at 36 inches if you eyeballed it? That only comes with a lot of experience, but you'll still... still and even then, I, I, have been a, I have been a carpenter my whole life. I, it was, I built furniture for many years. And even then, even on my best day, when I didn't have a guy, okay, I'll just eyeball it, and guess what? It, it, the funny thing is, if you, if you, like if you, met, if you put something square up against this wall, guess what you re would realize? This is not a straight wall. And so when precision is required, what do you always have to do? You have to impose upon your own efforts a tool of precision. Now, let me tell you a funny story, and this needs to stay in this room. And I know I'm recording it, but I'm praying that my father-in-law will never hear this recording because, <laughs> I mean, absolutely no disrespect to my father-in-law. But recently, last year, he announced that he needed help building a, a shed. And could everyone come and we're going to build a shed? Now, beforehand, he laid the cement. There's no way we could lay cement and a shed in the same day. So he laid the cement. Now, bless his heart. He went out and put two by fours down on the ground, leveled it out as best he could, and put two by fours on the ground and poured the cement. 
So when we got there, there was a pad of cement. Now, what did we do? We squared the walls, right? We measured, okay, it needs to be 25 feet. So we made a wall that was 25 feet. We made a wall that was 14 feet. And when we put the first wall up, guess what we discovered? The cement was not level. It was actually tilted. So when we put this wall up, the edge of the wall kind of went out like this. And when we put this wall up, guess what? They didn't, what's the word? Square up. We could not build the shed. We could not build the shed because the cement pad, the foundation was not level. Now, how expensive of a tool would it have taken to correct that problem? A dollar. Had he simply put a tool on the cement pad when he built the form, what, he, what would he realize? This is not level. And we're going to have a hard time building a house that won't square up. Now, do you see where I'm going with all of this? In temple ceremonies, the Lord often uses symbols of drafting, symbols of construction. So I want to talk about what's the purpose of this tool right here. Now, imagine this bar is not here. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it, it is. It, often, it makes it a little bit more stable. But what is this tool used for? Making it square. Now, I drew, I, I drew a square. I did my best eyeballing it. And that is not square, is it? If I were to build on this square a house, what would the house look like? Now, if I had taken a square and drawn and used it, what would this square have done to my square? Now, I think one of the great lessons I learn is that this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And when I put Jesus on my life, what does he do to all of my crooked lines? All of my weak buildings, he squares me up. Now, if you recognize, wink, wink, the symbol that the Lord uses when he says the word square, what's the symbol he uses? It's not complete, is it? It's a tool. And yet, when you go to the temple, tell me what you see. Let me just walk you on a little journey through a handful of temples.
This is just a random selection of a handful of temples that I, that I have taken and the church has produced. And you'll find all throughout the temple a square. But what does your eye see? What, tell me what you see. I see how many sides? Four sides. And when I look what's on me, how many sides? Two sides. So tell me, how did this become that? If you go all throughout the temple, let me just show you a handful of squares. Ready? Walking into the temple, what's the first image your eye catches? Besides the beautiful flowers. The squares. They are everywhere in the temple. How about outside the temple? Squares. We'll skip this one for a second. Um, just last night, no, it was Friday, I'll admit, it was Friday. I snapped a new one. I was picking, my wife and I were at the uh, Ochre Mountain Temple. And I snapped this picture. The fountain is a square. And that is a square. So tell me, what do you see? How does this become that? And that's what the covenant is. I think the straight one is Jesus. Now, if I have one of them that is perfectly straight and one that is very not, and I bring them together, what will happen when I bring those two together? It will not make this one crooked, will it? If Jesus and I come together, the whole point of my temple covenants is to allow Jesus to do what with me? To get him into my life and do what? Square me up. And so every time I see the square in a temple, I realize I'll bet one of them was perfectly straight and the other one was crooked until they came together. And coming together with one that was perfectly straight squared up the other one. And so I, you see, the, you see going from the two-sided to the four-sided, I think is part of the significant covenant. That this squares up everything that I'm trying to build. And if I do it without it, I'm never going to get it straight. Now I can choose to build my building without this and it's going to be a mess. Or I can just make a very simple adjustment and square up each cut. And what will the end result be? And by simply using the square, what will the end result be? And isn't that as simple as the gospel is? I can go my way, I can do it my way, or I can simply allow Jesus to square me up with every decision. Yeah, I just want to look back. I thought that, like, if you were going to build a building and we use it square 90% of the time, it'd be all right. But 11% we're going to have to go back and use square. I'm going to have to make some corrections. Okay, now, this has got to be applied 
Oh. Yep. James. I also think it has to do with consequences. Because when we use a square, the consequence is getting an exact 45 degree angle cut. But, because it goes back to the parenting styles, because he lets us know the consequences and then we have a choice. And that's kind of, he's like, the consequence of using a square is you'll be in sure and squared up perfect exactness and you won't get frustrated. Yep. But when we don't use a square, then there's, then we understand the consequences are not a straight house. Yeah. So of all the symbols to carry around with me, to remind me on a daily basis, a square would be a very appropriate symbol to carry with me, wouldn't it? And at every decision, did you use the square of Jesus to make that decision? Or did you cut it on your own? Did you measure out with the square of Jesus? Or did you just eyeball it? And I think that's a daily. Use the square of Jesus to cut your cuts, to build your buildings. And it's a whole lot better than having to go back and fix all the mistakes. You wouldn't believe the time it took to fix my, grand, my father-in-law's shed. The number of hours it took us to fix that, we could have built three sheds. Because what, how do you, what do you do when the foundation's not square? You rip it up. You, we, we didn't have time to rip it up, and so there, it was a mess. And so a great lesson, use the square all along the way, and the house will just come together better. Okay, let's do compass. Now, as I have met with many, many Latter-day Saints, and I say the word compass, and I ask them, what comes to mind what image comes to mind when I say the word compass? Almost without fail, which one of these do they think of? This is what most people think a compass is. Everyone, if I just said, okay, when, when you know, hey, especially in the temple where I can talk openly, and I'll say, the symbol of the compass, what did you think of when you heard the word compass? Every kid of mine that went through the temple Heard which image? Now, does these come up in the scriptures? The Leahona was a compass. The scriptures are a compass. But if you look at the shape, if you look at the shape that the Lord calls the compass, is it a circle with a needle in it? What is it? It's again a drafting tool. This is the compass the Lord is referring to. Now tell me what you do with this compass. Okay, so the symbol is the circle. That's really what we're trying to point to is the symbol of the circle. Because you don't find a lot of these in the temples, do you? How many circles do you find in the temple? So many. Jordan River Temple, you can't look in any direction without seeing a circle. And most of the circles are what? interlocking the temple is filled with circles so what's the connection what does this have to do with a circle what? compasses are how you make circles let me say that again compasses are how you make circles 
So the Lord is trying to point to the making of the circle. Now tell me how a compass makes a circle. You put one point in the center and then, what's the word? Circumscribe. You circumscribe everything around what? The center. So if God were to draw a whole bunch of circles in the temple, if we don't apply the compass, we miss the point. We apply the compass to say that circle has a center. And everything in the circle is circumscribed around the center. Now, all of a sudden, let's take a look at the covenants. I want you to think of probably the most significant circle in the temple. Think of the most significant circle. What is the center point that circumscribed that circle? It was the sacrifice of the lamb on an altar. The lamb on an altar is the center of that circle. Now, again, if you see, you have to apply. Why would we stand in a circle? Why would we stand in a circle? Tell me what's the advantage of standing in a circle? You see, the scriptural phrase is, you see eye to eye. There are numerous prophecies. Let's just turn to Jeremiah. Let me just show you the big one. Jeremiah chapter 31, when, when the temple was destroyed, when the Babylonians came in and slaughtered the Jews, Jesus, through Jeremiah, gave an incredible prophecy. Turn to your Old Testament and go to Jeremiah chapter 31. This is quoted by Paul in the New Testament. It's quoted by Jesus in the Doctrine and Covenants. This is a significant moment. Jeremiah chapter 31. With the temple in ruins, with the temple having fallen apart, Jesus said, I am going to make a new covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the old covenant where you guys blew it. I'm going to make a new covenant where the law is written where? In their hearts. Now look at the promise. Well, we got to read this first one. Let's read 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. Ooh, that sounds celestial, right? I will put my law in their inward parts and will write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For why? They shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sins no more. In other words, they will see. Let me, let me build on that. Now turn to Doctrine and Covenant section 84. We're going we're gonna to build on that. Section 84. Whoops, wrong. Sorry. Doctrine and Covenants 84. 
Notice the wording. He's specifically going to draw on that promise of Jeremiah. Verse 98, until they shall all know me. You see Jeremiah 31 in there? A new covenant, they're all going to know me, who remain even from the least unto the greatest and shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and shall see eye to eye. In what shape would we have to be standing to see eye to eye? In a circle. We are going to be the kind of people who see eye to eye and know him. Now, this is where you've got to dig a little bit. If I'm standing in a circle that was circumscribed by an atonement, and I'm looking at you, what's the covenant? What does this token say I'm covenanting to do? To see you through him. That's the covenant. As I stand in a circle and try to see eye to eye, I am promising to circumscribe the circle around that point. Now, part of one of the most terrestrial things I do is what? I look at you without the atonement on you. I look at you and I deny you the robes of the atonement. I look at raw you. I look at what you said. I look at what you did, the way you smell, the way you acted. I look at raw you and I judge you. That is one of the most terrestrial things I do. And in that circle, standing there in that circle with no words spoken about this, he just taught me how to live a celestial law. See them through him. The only way we see eye to eye is through him. If you are not seeing each other, if you're not seeing the people in your life through the atonement of Christ, you are breaking the covenant you made in that circle to put Jesus in the center. Now, is that explained? No. Why is it not explained? That's the power of the covenants and the symbols. You have to see, you have to dig, you have to liken, you have to understand what it's pushing me to do. And you have to circumscribe the circle with a compass. Do you see how I'm putting all my temple tools together? When you walk out that door, will you promise to see people through his atonement? Now, that leads to how God sees me. Let's briefly, well, I want to come back to do and do one more compass, but let's do how God sees me. In, again, the book of Hebrews, as long as we're in the scriptures, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, which is this week's Come Follow Me, by the way. Perfect timing. In the book of Hebrews, we get this declaration about what is the veil. 
Hebrews chapter 10. It's very subtle little verse in verse 20. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So what is the veil? Now, I want you to think of standing at that moment where I face God. I am at the veil and I am facing God. Tell me what God sees. True or false, he sees my hand. False, because it's his hand that's extended. He does not see even my hand. Tell me what the father sees. So looking at me, every time God looks at me, he looks through Christ. And thank goodness, right? Now, how hypocritical then is it for me to do what? To take Christ out. Even when I look at myself, which is probably the one I judge the most. If God is promising to see me through Christ, I am standing in a circle promising to see everyone else, including myself, through what the atonement makes possible. There's the covenant. Do you see how we're putting all the tools together to see that? Daniel. Can I add something? Please. When you're standing before the Father, the only way that you can enter into his presence is by parting the veil. The only way that we can enter into the Father's presence is by Jesus Christ being, his flesh being parted apart, being torn apart. Yeah. So there's symbolism in there. Because well. if, if the veil is his flesh, we have to, we have to part his flesh. Beautiful symbols. So that then go with the sacrament and like... I have it linked, that scripture linked to when the veil is rent. Um, in, uh, Matthew 28, or whichever one. Just that the veil was rent. And so we could enter into now the barrier to God has been torn open because his flesh was torn open. Beautiful. See all the connections? Okay, let's do one more. We have to, I want to do this one one more. I want you to go back to that circle. I want you to go back to that circle in the temple. What else is at the center of that circle? We, the priest isn't at the center, right? There, he's near it. But what goes on top of Jesus? Broken people. What is the purpose of every circle in this gospel? To put broken people on Jesus. What then is the purpose of the circle of my family? Jen and I have 10 kids, and the whole purpose of that circle is to bring our children and place them on Jesus. Do you see the purpose? Helpful? What's the purpose of my ward? What's the purpose of my calling? Whatever your calling is, the purpose is 
make it safe for broken people to come to Christ. If you're not doing that in your calling, you've missed the purpose of the circle. The center that circumscribes that circle is broken people on Jesus. Broken people on Jesus. Now, the scriptures is full of circles and people that are broken. Let me show you one where someone got pushed out of the circle. And I think this is so typical. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I think, is a classic example of a circle where the broken person got pushed out. All right, Jesus goes to Jericho, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, there's three strikes against him. Number one, he was chief among the publicans, which means he's a tax collector. He works for Rome. He works for Rome, so they hate him, right? Not only does he work for Rome, but... Now, the way taxes worked back then is Rome required him to pay a set amount. If he gathered more than that, then he got to keep it. He just had to turn in that set amount. So if he's rich, what are they assuming? He's cheated them. He charged too much so that he could be rich. So he's rich and he's a publican. And then he's little. But all he wants to do is to see Jesus. But he can't. Why can't he? Why can't he see Jesus? You got to see that. Do you see this? Because of the where he was in the circle. So Jesus was at the center of the circle, right? So here's Jesus at the center. And then he's thronged by all these people. And where's Zacchaeus? Now, one of my biggest pet peeves is what do we do as members of the church? We circle around Jesus and keep everyone else out here. What's the covenant? The very covenant we've made is to do what? Put the broken people on Jesus. And he can't see Jesus because of the press. He's not in the circle. And no one will let him in the circle. Now watch what Jesus does. Oh my goodness. He climbs a tree, right? Now tell me the verbs. Jesus, before, he looked. He looked. Did anyone look around this classroom and see if there was a broken person? Is there anyone out there? Do you think you'll notice any broken people as you walk out the building? Did you in high school? Did you notice the broken people? Did you look for them? Did you look and see them? They were all around. Can I tell you a haunting story? My sweet wife moved her senior year from a very small little town up to Salt Lake. She went to one of these large high schools and she was lost and no one noticed her. She ate alone. No one noticed her. Do you know how many times I've wished I could go back in time? I was so close, but no one noticed her. I just needed someone there to notice her. Notice that she was scared and alone and no one was letting her in the circle. But no one saw her. 
because no one was looking. But who is looking and who will see her? And what does he say? I think this word haunts me. Today I must abide at thy house. Why the word must? Why does he say he must? I must. I must because none of them did. I think if Jesus were on his way to this institute right now to come to this class, he'd probably yell and say, sorry guys, I can't come. Because why? I got to go find the people none of you invited. And that haunts me. That haunts me so much. I must eat with you. I think that was a rebuke to the people in the circle who never let Zacchaeus in. Why? Because he was different. Now, you want to know what the compass teaches me? The circle, the center, the covenant. No words are being spoken. But at the center of that circle, we are putting broken people on Jesus. If I walk out of that temple and keep the broken people because I don't notice them out of the circle, then what was the whole point of that covenant? What was the whole point of that covenant? The gospel is so simple. There are broken people in this room. There are broken people in that gym. There are broken people at your work, in your ward, and in your family. Are you noticing? Because you promised. You promised in a circle that you would not forget the broken people. Do you see how these temple covenants come alive when you see the symbols and you, you see them dig a little bit and then apply them in your life, knowing what the purpose of the temple is? Find circles and ask yourself what's at the center. Anyone name another circle? Let me share you one of my favorites. You almost have to look closely to notice it. Now, sometimes it's a square, sometimes it's a circle, and I like that it, it rotates back and forth because I find significance in both. But let me show you a very interesting... Wait, I did it. Where did I put them? Oh, here it is. Here it is. Oh, here's kind of one that's a circle. You recognize this room, right? Anyone see the circle? It's carved into the carpet. The ceiling room where my wife and I were sealed, there's a circle. Tell me what's at the center. A nail in a sure place. That whole circle of my marriage is built on what promise? 
Do you see? They're everywhere. Circles are everywhere. How about a baptismal font? Tell me what's at the center of a baptismal font. If a ba- almost every baptismal font is a circle, right? What's at the center of the circle? That's a beautiful image. Someone yielding to priesthood. Someone yielding to priesthood. Everywhere you go, you will find circles. Remember the symbol. Remember to find the center of the circle. All truth can be circumscribed into the center of the circle. Okay, we better stop. We didn't do navel. Sorry, there's so many. Is that helpful though, to start to see symbols and to just realize, wait a minute, I gotta dig a little bit more than I am. I need to see, dig, and apply. I haven't been seeing, I haven't been digging, and I haven't paused and asked that what's the application. So every symbol, everything in the temple, squares, circles, compasses, everything is trying to help me make a covenant to get out of the terrestrial room. What are the terrestrial habits that are keeping me in that room? I bear you my testimony that we have got to become celestial people by our temple covenants. Remember the lesson on Zion and where we're going? And why did the Lord push the pause button? Why did the Lord push the pause and say, we're going to wait for a little season? We need to be endowed from on high. If this church isn't changing into celestial people because of our temple covenants, we are not preparing for our duty in the latter days. We will never usher in the second coming until we become a celestial people by temple covenants. We've got to get better at seeing, applying, and then living so that we get out of the terrestrial room and into the celestial room. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This has been class number 11. Once again, would you share with a friend or someone in your inner circle or with me or with the class an insight that you have gained in a temple symbol? What do you see now? What is the invitation to change your behavior? to get out of the terrestrial and into the celestial.